Hello, you're listening to audio from First Church Butler. If you'd like to check out more resources, please visit butlerfumc.com and connect with us on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram at First Church Butler. So I know what you're thinking. You're not David Jans. You know, David called me this morning about 7.45, and I was thinking it was to reinforce when I... Uh, made the announcements or, um, you know, talked about the announcements this morning to reiterate the need for volunteers for the children's ministry. But when he was talking, he didn't sound great, and he said he was struggling, and he didn't think he could actually even get up from his house to be able to come into the church today, um, let alone be able to preach. And he asked me if I would be willing to share my heart with you. And then I immediately st- stopped thinking about David and started thinking about me. I'm thinking, today? That's like in three hours. And he says, yeah. He said, J- just share what's on your heart. Um, so then I started thinking about David again. I, hope, I know David struggles with some, with, uh, some physical issues. Uh, hopefully he's able to kind of get those under control and be back here with us real soon. But I'll tell you, I will share with you um, what is on my heart. Because um, I have a passion about people knowing Christ. And the most important decision in a person's life, it's not what job they take, where they decide to go to school, what neighborhood they live in, what house they live in, what car they buy. The one that has the greatest impact on a person's life for now and all eternity is whether or not they decide to follow Jesus. And and I tell you, I I love talking to people who are non-believers, skeptical, curious. Um, And when I talk to them, I don't try to give them convincing arguments. I just encourage them, actually challenge them to do your own research. Investigate for yourself. Don't rely on what you've heard, what you thought, what what is comfortable for you. Do your own research. Find out, did, did, did Jesus really exist? Are the stories about him true? Did he really claim to be God and forgive sins? Did he say he was the way to salvation? And did, did he back up his claims? Did he really die on the cross? Did he really come back after being dead for three days? And if you do that investigation for yourself, and you should, as I would tell people I talk to, and then you have to decide, what do you do with that? And unfortunately, what, in my experience when talking to people, I think people spend more time watching their favorite series on Netflix than they do investigating the claims of Christ. And, and I find people actually, they know more about sports figures or celebrities than they know about Jesus. And I tell you, the... I don't know if the church is, I don't think the church is really making much progress either. I have a couple statistics here from Pew Research. The trend toward religious disaffiliation is continuing. Of millennials, less than half describe themselves as Christians. 40% are religious nuns, N-O-N-E-S. And 10% identify with non-Christian faiths. Um, More Americans say they attend religious services a few times a year or less, 54% than say they attend at least monthly, 45%. And 
And religion, I'll put it air quotes, because religion is proving less and less effective of attracting people to Jesus. And I don't know, maybe that's because it's seemingly not always the focus. So it breaks my heart. It, it breaks my heart um, to know that people are turning away from a God they never really knew. And you probably know somebody like that. Maybe somebody in your family, maybe a friend, somebody close to you. you know, maybe they've suffered a tragedy. Maybe they've experienced pain and their, their hearts are hardened. Maybe they've turned away from their perception of God because of their experience with religion, with religious institutions, with religious leaders, with religious people. Because when there is religion, there's hypocrisy. And hypocrisy is unattractive. So, that's the people who don't know. I encourage them, and I would encourage you to encourage them to seek for themselves. But what about you and me? What about us? What about those of us who say we know who Jesus is? We acknowledge and agree that he claimed to be God and proved that by living, by living a sinless life and conquering death. You know, what about us? What about us church people? I think us church people need to change our identity. I think we shouldn't be church people. I don't think we should hold ourselves out as denomination. I don't think we should be Methodist or if you're Presbyterian or you're Baptist or whatever denomination. Um, and I think there's, and even Christian, the term Christian has a lot of generalization. You know, the early Christ followers didn't call themselves Christians. Jesus called people to follow him. So if we want to truly respond to Jesus' call to follow him, I suggest we consider calling ourselves Jesus' followers. Right? He called his people to be disciples. So a, a definition, a follower, a disciple is one who accepts and assists in the spreading of the doctrines of the one we follow. That's what it means to be a follower or a disciple. And to be a Jesus follower is one who trusts Jesus and centers his or her life around him. So as opposed to being a churchgoer or being recognized by denomination or even the general term Christian, being a Jesus follower is more narrowly defined. There's no ambiguity and there's no man-made rules. It's not religion. It's personal. Following Jesus is about a relationship. And I tell you, it's simple but harder but has greater rewards. I mean, actually, just saying it out loud is harder. Telling somebody in conversation that you're a Jesus follower, mm, it, it's just, it's, like, it's a bold declaration of your discipleship, right? It, it actually, just saying it out loud makes you feel more accountable. Um, and quite honestly, it's simpler. I don't have a Bible up here. Probably should. You don't even need the whole Bible to be a Jesus follower. You know, much of the Bible um, is interesting, and, um, but 
but being a Jesus follower isn't about, isn't about rules. It doesn't affect, you know, much of the, the Old Testament doesn't affect us being a follower of Jesus. Um, so it's harder. Um, it's simpler, but it's harder to do. And it's simple because we have the opportunity to learn about the life of Christ through um, the writings of the New Testament. Actually, you can know everything you need to know about being a Jesus follower simply by reading and studying the book of John. And then you want to add to that, you can read the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke. Uh, you can read the many stories of the one who was actually a persecutor of Christians, but then met Jesus on the road to Damascus and changed his whole life. So you can read about being a Jesus follower. It's available. Oops, sorry. But I think it all starts with us accepting Jesus and considering ourselves followers. So what does Jesus look like? Sorry, it's not my pen. So I have one scripture verse I asked uh, Connie to put on the screen. From John 13, 34. Jesus says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. You've probably heard that a hundred times. But let that sink in. And let's just break it down here real quickly. Jesus says, a new command I give you. Now, this is not an additional command. This is a replacement. He's not saying, follow all the rules and laws of the Old Testament, not only the Ten Commandments, but the other, I don't know, 632 commandments of the Old Testament. This will be number 633. He's saying, no, I'm giving you a new, a replacement commandment. Not the commandments in the rules, in the covenant between God and the nation of Israel. This is a new command of the new covenant between me and you. It's personal. It's relationship. So it's a new command. And what is that command? Love one another. Love one another. It's simple. It's hard. It's simple. Because for starters, who is one another? Again, you've heard a lot of things, but one another are the people we like and the, and the people we don't like. One another are the people we agree with and the people we disagree with. One another are people whose life choices may be the same as ours, but it's also the people whose life choices are different than ours. It's the people whose politics are the same. It's the people whose politics are different than ours. Everybody, everybody is somebody for who Jesus died. Everybody is somebody who God loves. Everybody is the one another Jesus is commanding us to love. And he tells us who. He tells us how. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. It's personal. It's not institutional. We can learn how Jesus loves. We have the Gospels, right? We have the stories of his life. We can learn how he loves. He commands us to love one another as he loves us. And as you study the life of Jesus and you learn about him and you 
read what he did and you understand why he did, why he did what he did, you'll learn, as we know, that he loves unconditionally, sacrificially, and with forgiveness. All those things are simple but hard to love the one another's in our life. And even Paul, in Galatians 5, 6, leave that up there. Paul says, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. The only thing. Paul, one of the, one of the really important things is, no, Paul says, the only thing that counts is faith is expressing itself in love. And I'll tell you, it's hard to love that way. It's hard to love like Jesus loves. It doesn't come natural. It doesn't. We, we are by nature selfish, so it doesn't come natural. But when we do love that way, it is so powerful. And I, I have this one story. I'm just going to read this story if you, if you give me a second. I don't know if you remember uh, the story of the USA Gymnastics team doctor who was abusing many of the gymnasts. Um, and this, I want to read this, American gymnast Rachel Denhollander was the first woman to publicly, publicly accuse USA Gymnastics team doctor Larry Nasser of sexual assault. In 2016, she alleged that he repeatedly engaged in horrific and humiliating behavior when she was his patient. Her actions paved the way for over 265 women to come forward with their own accounts of abuse. In 2018, a Michigan court found Nasser guilty on charges of child pornography and sexual assault. And while Dellen Huller was the first to accuse Nasser, she was the last of over 150 victims to confront him in the courtroom during the sentencing phase of his trial. When her turn finally came, she addressed her initial remarks to the men and women in the courtroom. How much is a little girl worth, she asked. Then Hollander's question hung in the air. Referring to the other women who came forward with their own horrific stories, she continued, I submit to you that these children are worth everything. Then Den Hollander accused Nasser directly. In our hearings, you brought your Bible to the courtroom, and you have spoken of praying for forgiveness. So it is on that basis that I appeal to you. If you have read the Bible you carry, you know the definition of sacrificial love portrayed of God himself loving so sacrificially that he gave up everything to pay a penalty for the sin he did not commit. By this grace, I too choose to love this way. She continues, should you ever reach the point of truly facing what you've done, the guilt will be crushing. And that's what makes the gospel of Christ so sweet because it extends grace and hope and mercy where none should be found and it will be there for you. I pray you experience the soul-crushing weight of the guilt so that you may someday experience true, true repentance and forgiveness from God, for which you need far more than forgiveness from me, though I extend that to you as well. <clears throat> that story makes me emotional every time I read it. Sacrificial, unconditional love and forgiveness is so powerful. It is so impactful. 
So Jesus tells us to love with a new command, who to love, how to love. And then he says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Wait, wait, by this? Not by being a good person? Not by attending church regularly? Not by the way we worship? Not by the way we pray? Not by what we tell people? Not by what we say we believe? No, Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you. By this, this will be the identifying mark. How we treat, how we talk about, how we respond to, how we care for one another is the identifying mark of a true Jesus follower. So being a Jesus follower eliminates a lot of the baggage that comes with institutional religion. But it holds all of us, each of us, to a higher standard. And it's 100% relational. It's 0% institutional. It's relational between us and our Lord. And it's the doing that makes the difference, not just the believing, not the acknowledging. It's the doing. Following is an action. Loving one another is an action. I'm, I'm a big Andy Stanley fan. Um, Andy Stanley has this saying, if you're never sure what to say or do, ask, what does love require of you? It's an action, but it holds us to a higher standard. And I can tell you, as we truly follow Jesus and for me, I've been fortunate in my life to have some experiences in this church through reading some books, through some relationships, that I've grown in my understanding of what it means to follow Jesus. And I can tell you, when you follow Jesus, your heart will be transformed. I can tell you, my experience is my heart's been transformed. And when you and I, when we realize the depth of his sacrifice for us, not deserving it, then we'll appreciate his love and his grace. And when you appreciate his love and his grace and your heart's transformed, you, like I do, or I have been doing, I start to see people and circumstances and situations look at that through his eyes, not my eyes. And when I look at people and circumstances and situations through his eyes, I can tell you, my relationships have changed. Your relationships will change when you look at other people through the eyes of Christ. Your priorities will change. Things that cause you concern or anxiety will all of a sudden become maybe less important than they were. Your, your worldview will change. You'll have a tendency to be less selfish. And you'll be more active in your love for one another. And you'll experience the peace and contentment that Christ wants us to have. And then quite honestly, you'll be driven to make disciples. You'll be driven to tell other people about Jesus. Not because you're called to. You'll be driven to make disciples because you also care about the people God loves. And that's the reason we want to let others know about Christ and encourage people to be his followers. So, just in closing, a challenge to you and to me that I'm constantly making to myself, I don't want to be characterized as a churchgoer. Let's not be characterized as churchgoers or 
by the name of our denomination. And let's don't even be caught in the overgeneralization of the term Christian. Let's be what Jesus calls us to be. And that's his follower. So let's focus our time and our attention on Jesus, how he lived, how he loves. And I'll tell you, as we live and love, as Jesus loved us, that love, like in that story, when we love like Jesus loved, that love stands out. And when that love stands out, we allow his light to shine through us to an unbelieving world. And we, as a byproduct, receive the eternal life in the abundant life that he wants for us.